Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Read is Paul is starting to wrap the letter up. He's starting to sign off. He's starting to get in his last few uh, words to them. But as he's doing this, he has a very stern warning for them. So we're going to read from chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of the faith. This is the reading of God's word. and Every bit of it is true. And he gives it to us because he loves us. Amen. You may be seated. You, you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. Paul's words here are meant to startle us. I mean, we know it's true. That whatever you plant in your life will eventually produce some kind of harvest. And so Paul is giving a warning, but he's also giving a wonder. You will reap what you sow is a stern warning, but it's also a wonder because he says, if you sow good seed, you will reap a beautiful and wonderful harvest. You and I are sowing seeds every day. We sow seeds by our actions We sow seeds by our thought life. And there is bad sowing. Are you critical? Do you often find yourself mumbling and griping and finding fault and going off on little rants? It's the government. It's the conservatives. It's the liberals. It's those young people. It's the old people. It's the people, people. You're sowing seeds of bitterness. A husband and wife allow resentment to build in their marriage without ever resolving it. They're sowing seeds of destruction. Year by year, they drift further and further apart. They reap loneliness and bitterness and self-righteousness. So there's bad sowing 
but there's good sowing. Amy Carmichael lived from 1867 to 1951. She was a missionary to India and she took in all the throwaway children. She rescued children being sold into temple prostitution. She brought in orphans, she brought in the disabled and she gave them love, she gave them education, she gave them Jesus. Her work continues to this day. Her work was written about by another missionary named Elizabeth Elliot. And in the 1980s, a young college girl in Texas read everything that Elizabeth Elliot wrote about Amy Carmichael. And one day at Texas A&M in the library, she told her then boyfriend that she wanted to adopt a little girl from India. And her boyfriend just gave her a blank look. Fast forward to today. And that little girl from India is a member of this church. Good seeds were being sown. Good seeds sowed by the work of Amy Carmichael and Elizabeth Elliot brought forth a beautiful harvest. So what are you sowing in your life? You do know, of course, that you will reap what you sow. So take your sermon outline. Let's look at this passage together. First, sowing of the gospel. Now, verses six and seven seem disconnected. Why does Paul give us verse six and then follow it with what he says in verse seven? Do not be deceived. Verse six says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now this verse is about the relationship between the pastor and his congregation. That it's a fellowship of mutual sharing and giving. Now this came up earlier in Galatians and Brandon preached on it. It's a great sermon, it's a must listen. But for our purposes, we're gonna look at the connection between verses six and seven. Paul is telling them in this final warning that they have been deceived. And the only way to overcome it or to not be destroyed by it is to submit to what they have been taught in the gospel. The phrase taught the word means to catechize, showing that these new converts need to be continually sowing the gospel truth in their life. And he says in verse seven, do not be deceived. Now, in some ways, that's actually the theme of the entire letter. Because they were being deceived by these false teachers. Some of them who Paul had taught directly were being deceived. So what is the deception which the gospel sowing is the antidote? Paul calls the deception sowing to the flesh. Paul's warning here must be understood in the context of the rest of the letter because he means something very specific when he speaks of sowing to the flesh. Sowing to the flesh for the Galatians was that they were striving to control their lives by being their own savior 
earning their own righteousness and actually resisting the gospel of free grace. Now, we're gonna go back to Galatians 3 to see how this was really true. And we're gonna look at the Phillips translation. Here it is, the Phillips translation. I love it because really, it really brings it to life. Look what he says. Oh, you dearly loved idiots of Galatia. Isn't that great? Oh, you dearly loved idiots of Galatia who saw Jesus Christ crucified so plainly. Who has been casting a spell over you? I want to ask you one simple question. Did you receive the Spirit of God by trying to keep the law or by believing the message of the gospel? Surely you can't be so idiotic as to think a man begins his spiritual life in the Spirit and then completes it by reverting to outward observances? Has all your painful experience brought you nowhere? (laughs) I simply cannot believe it of you. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you? Do these things because you obeyed the law or because you believe the gospel? Now, let, let uh, let me just give you a formula, okay, for what's going on here. Good deeds plus bad motives equals unfavorable results. So just memorize that. It's easier than the transitive property or the Pythagorean theorem, all right? Good deeds, bad motives equal unfavorable results. So imagine this, a husband comes home from work and he brings his wife a huge bouquet of flowers. And she's like, oh, this is, oh, this is so nice of you. She goes, what's the occasion, dear? He goes, no occasion, honey. I just want you to know how much I love you. And she is absolutely delighted and taken with this until dinner. When he says, honey, remember that picnic I was going to take you on tomorrow afternoon at the beach? Well, something has come up. And he doesn't even finish the sentence. And she's smelling his rat motives behind bringing the flowers, right? And it's not gonna be a very pleasant evening, is it? Well, the Galatians believed the flowers, them justifying themselves by trying to obey the law would bring about favorable results. And Paul was telling them, you are deceived in your sowing. In fact, the Galatians are in more danger in their religious self-righteousness than they were in their licentious pagan days. Religious morality keeps people from the gospel more than self-indulging immorality. Say it again. Religious morality keeps people from getting the gospel more than self-indulging immorality. Think about Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus would respond more favorably to bad, immoral people than he did in his interactions with those who were actually doing good things like praying and fasting and giving and serving, but they were doing it from bad motives. Jesus actually addresses religious people and he says this to them. He says, the prostitutes 
and the tax collectors are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He's saying they get it. You can't because of your religious self-righteousness. Every day, we are sowing seeds of self-justification because it is the default mode of the human heart. And actually, we are really very unaware of it. It's so natural to us. You know, I deal with uh, a lot of broken marriages as a pastor, a lot of struggling marriages. And the biggest challenge is to get one or both of them to see their self-righteousness. Because one of them, or sometimes both of them, they feel like they have the high moral ground on their spouse and they're prosecuting them and they're condemning them and I can't get them to see how self-righteous they are. In fact, their inability to repent of their self-righteousness is often what brings the marriage to an end. You are not really a Christian You are not sowing the gospel unless you repent of bad deeds and your good deeds. The reason why you do good things is often that you're leveraging for yourself validation before God, others, and yourself. That sometimes you bring flowers with selfish motivation, selfish reasons. Before the Reformation, Martin Luther was the hardest working, good deed doing monk in the monastery. He prayed more than anyone. He uh, served more than anyone. He served the poor more than anyone. And he was doing all of it to justify himself. He was sowing the flesh just like the Galatians. Now think about this for a minute. The Reformation is one of the most impactful things that has ever happened in history. Even secular historians say that it's one of the top five pivotal points in world history. And the Reformation happened because one man understood that he needed to repent of his good deeds. He needed to repent of the reason why he was doing them. He had to repent of his self-righteousness. Now, if that started the Reformation, imagine what it could do in a church or in a marriage or in your parenting. Sowing the gospel means this. You don't have to be awesome. Jesus was awesome for you. That God does not love you to the degree that you're working hard to be like Jesus. But he loves you to the degree that you are in Jesus, which is 100%. That you can cease from striving to justify yourself. Do you have any idea how exhausting it is to live like the Galatians? I think you do. I think you do. 
I love how C.S. Lewis illustrates this. He, uh, he, he calls it taking off the silly, ugly, fancy dress. The fancy dress that we put on pretending that we're actually better than we actually are. Taking the silly dress, getting rid of the false self with all of its, look at me, aren't I a good boy? Look how smart I am. Look at all the good that I am doing. The silly, ugly dress with all its posing and posturing and boasting and hiding and twirling. He says, oh, the relief, the comfort, the rest from taking off that silly dress and putting on the beautiful righteousness of Jesus. Second, reaping what you sow. Paul's warning here uses one of the most familiar experiences in human history. Farming. The process of sowing and reaping. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Now, in farming, this is an absolute principle. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you plant tomato seeds, you will not get corn, no matter how bad you want corn to grow. You will reap what you sow. Also, you will reap. Even though when you plant seeds and they lie in the ground, there can be no apparent effect for a long time, it will happen. And this law of returns is unstoppable in the moral and spiritual realm, just like in farming. The one who sows to the sinful nature will reap destruction. It's going to happen. It's unstoppable. Sin sets up a strain against the moral and spiritual universe. Just like if you eat a lot of fatty foods, that sets up a strain against your physical body. It sets up a strain against your heart. And if you eat a lot of fatty foods, it will result in heart problems and possible early death. Sin makes things fall apart. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Sin always brings destruction, never joy, never life. The consequences cannot be held off. Now, when we think about this, we normally think in terms of sins of the younger brother kind. A person who lives a self-indulgent life in debauchery and cheating and lying and stealing And we might look at a person's life and all the wreckage as a result of it. And rather sadly, we might say of them, they just, they reaped what they sowed. And that is true. But we usually don't think of this truth in terms of church going people, do we? We don't look at the religious with all their praying and church going and Bible studying and serving and we don't usually say of them in a negative sense, you're gonna reap what you sow, do we? Paul addresses younger brother sins in Galatians, but his primary focus is older brother sins of doing good to justify yourself. 
Now, if you're prone to self-righteousness, and you are, religious legalism, all right, what does that reaping look like? How do you know if you're doing it? First, a quote here by Tim Keller and a a couple examples. Keller says this, the legalistic spirit leads to being harsh, overly sensitive to criticism, deeply insecure, jealous of others because of our sense of personal identity and worth have become entwined with performance and its recognition rather than being rooted and grounded in Christ and his unmerited grace. Earlier in the book of Galatians, Paul seems to kind of stop in the letter and address them. And he says, what's happened to your joy? You don't seem to have any joy. He said, is it because you're working so hard? You're exhausting yourself. All of the lifeblood is drained out of Christianity for you. What has happened to your joy? Another way we can know is this. All right, we're going to do something. And it's not really safe, okay? So those of you who are not near windows are probably the safest, okay? But perhaps, for the sake of illustration, God will not strike us dead, okay? This is an illustration, God. Do not open up the earth and swallow Seven Rivers Church, all right? right, So do this in your mind, okay? You can't do it out loud because it would get really ugly in here. Just do this in your mind, okay? I want you to tell God that you are seriously unhappy with how he is handling your life. I want you to tell him, and I want you to give it to him. You don't like the way he's running your life. I want you to rant at him. I want you to go off. I want you to cuss. I want you to curse. I want you to pound the wall. You say, God, I don't like how you're doing my life. This is not the life I've wanted. Okay, did you do it? Did you do it in your mind? Well, you've done it before, right? I have. Do you you feel the selfishness of that? Do you feel the demandingness of this? That God owes you something? Now, let's be clear. It's okay to rant at God. He can handle it. It's okay to be mad at your father. Every child is. But the key is what's the motivation? What's driving that? Tim Keller says this. If we impose our understanding of schedule and timing on Jesus we will struggle to feel loved by him. Now, why would anyone impose their schedule on God? 
only because you would think in some way that God owes you, that you're expecting some kind of payoff, that you're expecting it because after all, you're a good, hardworking Christian. All right, I'm gonna read you a story. It's not in the Bible, okay? So after I read this story, don't come out after church and say, Pastor, I don't think that's in the Bible. I'm telling you, it's not in the Bible, okay? But it sounds like it is. All right, Elizabeth Elliot wrote this. She says, one day Jesus said to the disciples, I'd like you to carry a stone for me. He didn't give them any explanation. So the disciples looked around for a stone to carry, and Peter, being the practical sort, sought out the smallest stone he could find, and Jesus said to them, follow me. He led them on a journey. Around noontime, Jesus sat everybody down, and he waved his hand over the stones, and all the stones turned to bread. And he said, now it's lunchtime. Well... In a few seconds, Peter's bread was gone, and he was still hungry. When lunch was over, Jesus said, I'd like for you to carry a stone for me. And this time, Peter said, aha, now I get it. So he looked around for the biggest, heaviest rock he could find. He hoisted it up on his back. It was so hard to carry. It was painful. He's staggering around. But he said, I can't wait for supper. And Jesus said, follow me. And he led them on a journey. Peter's barely able to keep up with everybody else. And around supper time, Jesus led them to the side of the river. And he said, now everyone throw your stone into the water. And they did. And he said, follow me. And Peter and the others looked at Jesus completely dumbfounded and frustrated. And Jesus sighed. And he said, don't you remember what I asked you to do? Who were you carrying the stone for? You see, we can be like Peter. We expect our goodness to pay off by getting the life we think is owed to us, the results that we want. And if it doesn't happen that way, there's confusion, there's rage, there's prayerlessness, there's bitterness, there's a lack of joy. And guess what? You are reaping what you have sowed. No joy. No sense of feeling like a child of a God God that loves you. You're sowing with the expectation of a payoff that God owes it to you because to be on your schedule to give you the life you want. So what are you reaping in your life? Have you lost the joy of belonging to Jesus? I mean, do you spend more of your time being mad at God, frustrated with God, agitated at others, kicking the dirt because you're not getting your way, or... Is that what you do, or do you spend more time enjoying him? Which is it? And finally, third, sowing, sowing the good seed. Paul gives us two different kinds of sowing, sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. Sowing to the spirit reaps a bountiful harvest 
because it is being sowed from a gospel motivation. So how do we sow to the Spirit? Well, we do so by obeying God from a grateful heart that comes from knowing that we are secure status as the children of the living God. Here's a picture, okay? This is uh, Margaret McCollum. She visits the Embankment Underground Station every day to hear and remember her late husband, Oswald, who recorded the Mind the Gap announcement in 1950. Every day she goes there and sits down just to hear his voice. Now look at her face. I mean, just rest, enjoy hearing his voice. Little children, every day you've got to hear the voice of your heavenly father and his delight over you, his joy over you, not because of what you do, but because you are in him. And day after day, sowing good seed, Paul says, requires that we do not become weary in doing good. Because you know, when you sow good seed, there is a delay, sometimes a long delay before you reap. And Paul says, I want you to persevere in doing good. And he says, as you have opportunity, which means God gives the opportunity. He puts it out in front of you and he says, you'll be looking for the opportunities to do good to your neighbors, to everyone. And this goes beyond just evangelizing and this goes to just doing good things for them, caring for them. For us to heal the broken, to bandage the sorrows with compassion. He, he encourages us not to give up, that in time we will reap a full and lasting harvest. Now, Such a lifestyle requires a tremendous amount of sacrifice. We already don't have enough time, right? So you have to sacrifice some of your time, which means you cancel out some of your options. It means you have less money because you're giving more money away. It means you have less emotional energy because you're giving your emotions away to people who need you. And we are not to grow weary and Paul, he, Paul says there will be a greater value of the harvest compared to the tiny little seed that is planted. My wife likes to garden. She actually let me plant some seeds three months ago. All right? And I know what the harvest is going to look like, like it did last year, bountiful, way more than the little seed. But we do grow weary, don't we? We grow weary in doing good. I often think about our deacons. You know, those guys all have 40 to 50 hour a week jobs. And then they come here on the weekends to serve you. You know, we, uh, we always do this at our staff meetings. We do a little celebration time. We call it God at work. We ask each other, how have you seen God at work? And it's always, almost 99% of the time, it's not about what the staff is doing, how God is at work in the staff. It's how how God is at work in you guys, how God is working in the congregation. And so we're always deeply encouraged by this in our weariness. Did you know that our young adults, our young adult ministry, 20s and 30s, 
They've organized a widow care team to where they can help care for the widows alongside the deacons. And just this last week, they went over to several widows' houses to help them in the yard, clean up, do weeding, pick up branches, clean their yard. I talked to a widow last night, and she said they came to my house. She was as giddy as a schoolgirl, having been loved so well. We have a young man in our church. His name is Dominic. He grew up in this church. He never had a family. He has always been an orphan his whole life. He has literally been raised by many people in this family. He's beloved in student ministry. He's beloved because he works at camp. He has always been a part of this church. And this last week, finally, after a 10-year struggle, he was adopted into a family in this church. Here's a picture. Some of those people are family, but most of them are just Seven Rivers people who love this young man and wanted to celebrate with him. That's awesome. That encourages me in my weariness. There's a woman in our church. Oh gosh, she amazes me. I've known her a long time and she has lived, she's a widow, she she has lived with chronic pain for like the last 15 years. I mean, the kind of pain It's hard to watch her go through. But you know what she does? She has a group of widows that she cares for. She's the one who needs the care, but she cares for a group of widows. And she had to leave town about a few weeks ago to go care for her dying sister up north. But before she left, she organized a group of people in the church to make sure this one widow who has dementia was looked after, that she got food, that she, didn't, that she didn't wander in the street. Doing good. We had this uh, dad camp out, you know? Heard about that? There's like a bajillion kids and out at Warrior Park. And I don't have any kids young enough to take camping, but I went out there Friday night just for a few hours just to see the action. It was so exciting to see the kids running around having a good time. And I ran into this, this man in our church. He's really old, you know, really old. And he's really frail, okay? He uses a walker most of the time, and he's on oxygen. And so I see him out there, and I think, oh, he's out here just to visit with his grandkids, but he's going home tonight. Nope. He's camping. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, uh, I'm a stand-in dad, for a kid who doesn't have a dad, a kid who came up and asked him, Mr. Ross, will you be my dad for the camp out? I don't have one to take me. And so this older man says to me, how do you say no to that? And I'm thinking, I can think of five health reasons why you say no to that. <laughs> nope, he's there. The scripture teaches that the harvest of the kingdom, that we will experience it in the now and the not yet. That in the now, we'll experience the joy of lives changed, people healed, people becoming Christians, homes and marriages healed, children adopted, 
the lonely finding of family here. Wherever the world is broken, we are called to bring the healing love of Jesus. And so Peter and the disciples understood this calling. But you know, Peter just had to ask because Jesus prompted the question. So it was a good question, Peter. And here's what Jesus says to him in Matthew 19. Then Peter said, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. Are you good at math? A hundredfold. And eternal life. Beloved children of the living God, Seven Rivers Church, you're going to reap what you sow. And so don't grow weary in doing good. Hey, school teachers, don't grow weary in doing good. Sheriff's Department, police officers, don't grow weary in doing good. People with the gift of hospitality and welcome, don't don't grow weary doing good. Deacons, ministry leaders, small group leaders, disaster response, don't grow weary. Students, retirees, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in doing good. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine. You can't even imagine it. What God has prepared for those who love him. So don't grow weary, Seven Rivers Church. Let's go. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for how uh, liberating it is. Thank you for how freeing it is to be uh, your children. So would you encourage, encourage us in, in, in your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org. 